joining us tonight. I hope you all are doing great. Um, well, why don't you join us tonight for a few songs? Um, just worship and craziness. And it's such a blessing to be able to worship, isn't it? For us, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And um, worship really brings that. So why don't you join us tonight for a few of these songs?
faithful you will be you pledge yourself to me and faithful you have been and faithful you will be you pledge yourself to me and this why yourself to me and that's why I sing your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. So set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. So set a Lord, we bless you. We magnify your holy name. We exalt you, Lord Jesus, as King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you for all that you have done and all that you are doing. Father, right now, we just pray for our president and those that are in authority in our country. We pray for his advisors, that you would strengthen them and give them wisdom, divine wisdom, to know what to do and how to accomplish it. Father, we pray for our governor that he would yield to that which is good and right and that he would operate under the wisdom of God as well. And Father, we pray for ourselves to have the wisdom to know what to do and when to do it and how to do it. Lord, we thank you that it's your will that we lead quiet and peaceable lives 
in all godliness and honesty. We thank you for the help of the Holy Ghost that enables us to do just that. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, good evening, everybody. Sometime earlier this, uh, this year, uh, right around the first of the year, the Lord really began to deal with me about some things, um, quickenings of the Holy Spirit. There are some places in the, uh, in the Scriptures. Jesus said one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever he has said. And so there's a quickening work of the Holy Spirit where he will bring to our remembrance the things in the Word. But it even goes further than that. You remember in John's Gospel, it tells us after Jesus was crucified, the third day he rose again from the dead and he was walking along the way, along the road. And there were two of his disciples, two of the twelve apparently, that were on the way to Emmaus, this little town called Emmaus. And Jesus joined himself to them and walked with them. But their eyes were held uh, holding is the way that the King James says. They didn't know who he was. They didn't recognize him. And he stayed with them throughout the, the extent of their trip. They implored him, besought him to, to stay with them and eat dinner with them as well. And when he took the food, the bread that was there on the table, all of a sudden their eyes were opened and they recognized it was Jesus and he disappeared. I love the way the King James identifies their description, the two disciples' description. They said, didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked with us of the things in the word? There was another, there are several places that we could use for examples. But in Matthew chapter 16, you remember when they were at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? Peter spoke up and answered for the group and said, well, some say you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus turned it around and said, well, who do you say I am? And Peter answered again and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. So there was a quickening. There was something that was beyond just the physical, beyond just the evidence of the healings and the miracles and the people that Jesus set free. But there was a quickening work of the Holy Ghost that enabled Peter. And again, he's, he's speaking for the group, so we have to assume that, it's, uh, that they all had the same type of revelation, maybe to varying degrees, but still the same thing. Where it was revealed to him of God. There have been uh, a number of times over the past several years where the Lord has quickened some things to me. And I, I, I assume, I hope that everybody's had the same kind of experience from time to time where all of a sudden your eyes are just open to something that the Bible says or the truth of God's Word in some way or another. And it becomes a, a, a landmark in your Christian walk. It becomes something that you remember from that point forward and the revelation that it brings and the encouragement, for me at least, to know that the Holy Ghost cares enough about you to show you things, to reveal things to you. I want to talk to you about one of the Old Testament heroes of faith, somebody that made it into the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, but that we don't talk about very much, and that's Gideon. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 6, I'll, um, I'll recap the story a little bit, bring you up to date, kind of give you a, uh, a capsule summary of Gideon. At the time when Gideon, uh, the Lord appears to Gideon, the Midianites have conquered Israel because of Israel's failure to obey God. And they're wreaking havoc on the nation of Israel. It tells us that at the time of harvest, the Midianites would bring their flocks and their herds and overrun the land of Israel. 
and eat up all the crops and, and take all the food away. And Israel is just in a real bad spot. And Gideon winds up being the leader of the children of Israel, defeating the Midianites through a very small army when he stands up to become the leader, to be the leader of Israel. God says, you've got too many people following you. So he had to try to thin the crowd. So the first thing he did is he said to Gideon, tell all the people that are afraid to go back home. Well, all but 600 people went home. And then there was another test that he put him to. God said, you still have too many. And so he took them by the water. And the ones that drank a certain way from the water made up the army. There were 300 of them. So with 300, Gideon takes, makes an army out of them and takes the land of Israel back from the Midianites. Now we know that probably the thing that we know most about Gideon is that during the process, he asked God for confirmation. And God asked him, what, what is it you're looking for? And Gideon said, let me put this fleece out, which is just a, an animal skin. Let me put this fleece out on the ground and let the fleece be wet and the ground be dry in the morning. Well, it happened just that way. And you would think that Gideon would accept that for the answer because God did exactly what he asked for. But then he said, can you show me another sign? And God said, what do you want this time? And he said, I want the fleece to be dry and the, and the ground to be wet. So it was just exactly that. And so Gideon becomes a great leader delivering a great victory to the children of Israel. But what brought Gideon to the place where he could be that kind of leader and have that kind of success? I'm going to start reading in, in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord. We don't know if this was Jesus or if it was just an angel. The angel of the Lord sometimes refers to Jesus in the Old Testament, but not all the time, so we don't know for sure. But anyway, the angel of the Lord came and sat under an oak, which is in Oprah, that pertained unto Joash the Abizorite, maybe, I don't know. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Somebody likened this to trying to play golf in a closet. Gideon is trying to provide a little bit of food for himself and perhaps his family. But he's so cramped because of the fear of the Midianites finding him out. Verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why is all this befalling us? And where be his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of, uh, from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might. And thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee and bring forth my present and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. Then it tells us about getting going and preparing a meal, brings it back to where the angel is. The angel touches it with the staff that was in his hand and it burns up and the angel disappears. The thing that I want to focus on, and there are a lot of interesting uh, points to this story of Gideon, but we don't want to take the time tonight to talk about all those things. But the, the one thing, the main thing I want you to see from this, or the, the major question, let's put it that way, the question we should ask is what happened to Gideon to change him into a mighty man of valor? He's certainly not a mighty man of valor when he's threshing wheat by the wine press. He's operating in about as small a condition as you could imagine, as small circumstances as you could possibly imagine. But he winds up being the savior of Israel. 
to lead them out of the bondage of the Midianites. Now, what happened? How did God get him from where he was? And you can see even when the Lord talked to him about being the one to lead them out of bondage, he starts talking about being from the wrong family, from the wrong side of the tracks. He's the least in his family. He just seems to be full of excuses why it can't be him. But there's one overriding principle that God's operating by that I believe applies to each and every one of us, whether it was in the old, under the Old Testament or under the New Testament. And that is the way God got Gideon to go from a nobody to the leader of the children of Israel, the deliverer from the Midianites, was that he told him who he was. When the angel of the Lord says, Thou art a mighty man of valor, he sure didn't look like it from the way that he was operating. But God doesn't take us just based on what things look like. And he's not limited by the, the smallness that we might have of ourselves. The image that we have of ourselves may not have anything to do with the truth. And so when the angel of the Lord speaks the truth to Gideon, he calls him a mighty man of valor. And then he says something else. He says, go your way because I'll be with you. You know, there are other people in the Bible that the scriptures tell us about found themselves. Paul found himself and his ministry call from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah. There came a point in time when Paul separated himself from the Jews and went to the Gentiles. And he quoted as his mission statement, so to speak, go and I'll send you to the Gentiles and you'll be a light unto the Gentile nations. Paul recognized that that was the work that God had given him to do. But it goes even further than that. Paul found himself through a quickening of the Holy Ghost. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 2, Paul said, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such a one was caught up, into, uh, caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. The translators give us the wrong idea about this. It makes it appear that God forbid him to tell what he saw and the, the revelation that he received. But it really just means Paul is identifying that he doesn't have the words to express it. Paul then goes on to say, Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will, will not glory but in mine infirmities. The context that Paul is talking about is the attitude and the position that other um, teachers or so-called teachers of the gospel have taken with the Corinthian church and uh, they have uh, abused them. They've taken advantage of the, the people of Corinth. And the people of Corinth just laid down for it. They just accepted it readily. And Paul, in trying to identify his credibility to the, the Corinthians, and, and it was the Corinthian church that he said, if I'm an apostle to anybody, it's to you. In another place, he said, you may have 10,000 instructors, but you only have one father in the faith, and that's me. So he had a, a, a very close relationship with the Corinthian church, even though they were the church that was the most likely to break the principles of Christianity. And operate according to their flesh. But think about Paul's being caught up into heaven. And standing before God and hearing the words. The words that he heard most probably. Was what we know of as the revelation. What Paul talked about his gospel. That which was revealed unto him. About who we are. And think about all the things that Paul told us. Paul taught us the difference between spirit, soul and body. He's the one that identifies that he struggled with his flesh. He had the same struggle with his flesh in the beginning as, as every Christian does and would. But he found the secret. He found the source of power 
to overcome his flesh. Paul talks about how that he prayed to be delivered from the persecution primarily of the Jews. There was this thorn in the flesh that he identifies as persecution. And he prayed three times that the Lord would deliver him from this. But the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, he's saying, Paul, you're not redeemed from persecution. Nobody is. Doesn't mean that he couldn't believe God to overcome it. He did. But Paul knew who he was. Paul found out who he was. And that experience where he was caught up into heaven, the third heaven, he stood before the throne of God and he heard these unspeakable words that he didn't have words to describe or uh, words to describe the things that he witnessed and saw. That was something that he went back to and referred to in his life, not in his writings, but in his life over and over and over again. And, and everybody knew this story. All the churches that Paul wrote to after being acquainted with him or, or knowing him for some period of time. Church history tells us that everybody knew about Paul's being caught up into heaven and about that being the source of his revelation and how he knew the things that he knew. When you have an experience like that, when you have a quickening of the Holy Ghost, and in this case, I guess we would have to be frank enough to say that it goes beyond a quickening although that was certainly a quickening work this vision that Paul had whether in the body or out of the body he didn't know he felt the same whether he was in the body or out of the body as far as his spirit man the real him was concerned but this became a landmark this became an anchor point in his Christian walk it's something that caused him to be more spiritually minded or heavenly minded than earthly minded it became the foundation for everything that he gave instructions to you and me to carry out. He's the one that tells us in Colossians chapter 1, if you be risen with Christ, set your affection on things that are above and not things of the earth. He tells us that the reason that we should do that is because our we are dead and our life is hid with Christ in God. Again and again and again, he encourages us to think spiritually, to think according to the spirit man and not just according to the flesh. I want you also to turn with me over to Matthew chapter 4. There are some things that the Lord's really been dealing with me about and has been for the last several months concerning the temptation of Jesus. I'm going to start reading in Matthew chapter 4 verse 1. Then was Jesus led of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. That's a little off on the translation. It tells us that God led him into the wilderness where he was tempted of the devil. It doesn't tell us that the purpose for God taking or sending him to the wilderness was to be tempted of the devil. God doesn't lead us into temptation. He doesn't tempt us with evil. And that's exactly the temptation that, that, that the devil brought to him. But after fasting for 40 days, it had taken a toll on his body. And the devil always comes at your weak point, your weak moment. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now, folks, does Jesus know he's the Son of God? Absolutely. Does the devil know he's the Son of God? Absolutely. But the devil tries to tempt him, or does tempt him, to use his divine power for a fleshly purpose. And Jesus answered and said, It is written, he's quoting the word, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taking him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Folks, we better know the word because the devil sure does. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil took him up to an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the, and the glory of them and said unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, 
Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. I've, throughout my Christian life and time in the ministry, I've gone back and forth over whether or not Jesus had uh, knowledge or memory of pre-existing with the Father before his earthly birth. I used to lean toward him not having that memory, and I based that on the fact that the Bible says Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are. And it didn't make sense to me at that point in time in my spiritual development. It didn't make sense to me how that Jesus could be tempted in all points just like us if he had a memory of who he was and where he came from. But through years of study and a lot of times of meditating on this truth, trying to ascertain what was what, Jesus had to have had memory of his time with the Father. He had to have had knowledge of what he laid down. The Bible says in Philippians that he made himself of no reputation. Well, from the original Greek, that means he emptied himself of his heavenly power and glory. How would he know that if he didn't have memory of things prior? You may also remember in, in uh, the 17th chapter of John, when Jesus is praying, he prayed, Father, return unto me the glory which I had before thee, had with thee before the worlds were. Well, how would he know that there was glory that he used to have if he didn't have memory of it? When Jesus said on numerous occasions, he didn't come to do his own will, but the will of the Father. And then he said, the things that I do, the miracles that I'm doing, I'm not doing them of myself, but the Father in me, he doeth the works. These are all things that point to the fact what I believe is the fact, certainly of the probability, that he knew who he was, he knew from whom he came, and he had memory of the things that he did with the Father beforehand. Now here's what that means. The Bible tells us that all things were created by Jesus and for him. So when the devil is tempting him, the devil was a created being that Jesus had created. So here's the devil, the created being, talking to his creator, trying to tempt his creator with a fallen world. How attractive would a fallen world be to the one who made it and made it in perfect harmony with the will and the plan and the purpose of God from the beginning? Before Adam and Eve fell and sinned in the Garden of Eden, it was literally a paradise. It was the kingdom of God here on the earth. Man had authority in it. He really had control over it, over the works of God's hands. But all this that was created, that, that made up this paradise, this perfect creation, Jesus was the one that did the creating. He is the Word made flesh, and everything that was made was made by words, even as the Scripture tells us. So when Jesus is being tempted of the devil... The devil is trying to tempt him with a, the, the world in a fallen state. How attractive would that be to him? Again, we see Paul, as he remembers and thinks back to the man above 14 years from the time that he wrote to the Corinthians, being caught up into the third heaven. Look at the things that Paul tells us toward the end of his life. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He knew that to depart and be with Christ was far better. And as a result, he said, I'm in a dilemma. I'm in a straight betwixt two, the way the King James translates it. He said, I have a, des a, a desire to depart and be with Christ. Well, what gave him that desire? We have to uh, assume that at least part of that desire came from the fact or from the things that he saw when he had that experience of being caught up into the third heaven. Folks, when you get a, too much of a glimpse of heaven, there's no attraction here 
on this earth whatsoever. Paul experienced that. He said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but it's better for you if I stay here, if I abide in the flesh. So he's trying to do things not just according to his own will, but he's doing things according to what benefits others, the ones that are under his care. So when the devil is tempting Jesus, Jesus has absolutely no intent nor could the devil have any influence on him to try to give him something that he created but that now was in a fallen state. My point is very simply this. When we see things, spiritual things, spiritual truths, when we take the word of God and pierce through the veil of the flesh to see things for what they really are, that's when we become conduits for the power of God. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, knowing these things, having seen these things, having experienced these things, prays for the church. Ephesians 1 verse 15, he says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now what is the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him if it's not seeing him for who he is? See, when Paul prays that the Ephesians would have revealed to them the wisdom of God as to how things really are. He's talking about the same things that he experienced when he was caught up into heaven. Paul found a lot about who he was when he was caught up into heaven to stand before the throne of God. So what does he pray? He prays for us that we'll come to know who we are. The eyes of your understanding, the eyes of your spirit being enlightened. What is that if it's not revelation? What is that if it's not a quickening work of the Holy Ghost? the eyes of your understanding, your spirit being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Those things that Paul is praying, those three things, that may, we may know the hope of his calling first. Second, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And third, what is the exceeding greatness of his power according to the power that works in us. He's not praying that we would have something new. He's praying that we would come to the knowledge of what we have. He's praying that we would come to the knowledge of who we are as far as God is concerned. Now, who we are as far as God is concerned may not line up with how we see ourselves. But what God's Word says is always true. It has to be true. It must be true. And so he's praying that we would know who we are. Well, folks, if Gideon coming to know who he was turned him into a great champion, changed him from being a coward to being a conqueror, then what will it do for us when we've got the Spirit of God on the inside of us? When Paul prayed that we would know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance, he's praying that we would see spiritual things for what they are. He's praying that we would come to know what belongs to us that it would be revealed to us what belongs to us. And then finally, he prays that we would know the exceeding greatness of the power that works in us, the resurrection power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He says it's already inside of us. He's not praying that we would have power. He's not praying that we would receive additional power. He's just praying that we would come to know what power we have. Peter talks a little bit about this, very little actually. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 3. Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
to an inheritance incorruptible. Thank God we've got an incorruptible inheritance. It never changes. It never goes away. It can never be corrupted. And undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Temptations is test trials and afflictions. He's talking about adversity. He's talking about tough times. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Folks, it takes a spiritual mindset to accept willingly, joyfully, the reality that the trying of our faith is necessary and it's a good thing for us. I know it's not pleasant on the flesh. We all want things to happen instantly, or if not instantly, at least overnight. But sometimes the trying of our faith goes longer than that. Sometimes the trying of our faith, the things that we need to believe in and the things that we need to, to develop experience in holding steady where the things of God are concerned. Those things are more important than, the, than the, the comfort that we often look for when we put our faith to work. Sometimes the things that God would have us do, and I, I assume that we all pray for God to use us according to his plan and purpose. Well, some of those things that we want to be used by God to accomplish can't be accomplished without us gaining experience developing patience to hold steady no matter what's going on around us so he talks about it again verse 7 the trial the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes though it be tried with fire might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of jesus christ whom having not seen you love in whom though you now see him not yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now here he's talking about the salvation of our souls. He's not talking about being born again. He's not talking about the new birth. You don't have to be tried. The trial of your faith is not necessary to come into the family of God. When he talks about receiving the end of your salvation or um, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, He's talking about coming to the, to the fullness of what God has for us and what Jesus has provided for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And that brings us full circle back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, thank God we are, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. You know, these quickenings, certainly we would have to say that these things occur by the will of God and by the will of God alone. You can't give yourself a quickening. You can't give yourself a revelation. But there's one thing that we can do. And the only common denominator I know for anybody's quickenings, whether it's a, a, a giant thing like Paul being caught up into heaven or just having the eyes of your understanding being enlightened to the truth of, a, of earth, uh, one verse of Scripture. Those things are all dependent on the Word. It's only after we begin to meditate in the Word continually, and by that I do not mean that we keep our nose buried in our, in our Bibles all day long, but instead, what I'm talking about is take the word with us to whatever we do, wherever we go. We're thinking on, we're speaking to ourselves about who we are in Christ and what Jesus has done for us. We may be meditating throughout the day on the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in us and the exceeding greatness of his power in us. Those are all great things to meditate on. 
But one thing I do know, whatever it is you're meditating on, whatever scripture you've committed yourself to speak and to think on and to roll over and over and over again on the inside of your, your spirit, that gives the Holy Ghost an opportunity to quicken you. That gives the Holy Ghost an opportunity to bring to your remembrance the things that the Word says. And when those quickenings come, they come with great force. It may not be a force that anybody else sees. I've told the story many times about when the Lord dealt with me at the beginning of uh, the Brother Hagin's summer crusade campaigns to seek his face. Well, I didn't know how to do that. We didn't have smartphones or iPads in those days. So I took with me the big giant book, Strong's Concordance, and I went through the, the concordance searching for everything that's talked about seeking the face of God. And there are hundreds of scriptures that talk about seeking God in some way or another. Well, I would go through those. I would write them out. I would think on certain ones throughout the day, not knowing if I was on track the way that God wanted me to, not having any idea, to be honest with you, whether or not what I was doing was any good or served any purpose whatsoever. But after a couple of months, maybe seven or eight weeks, I was walking up the stairs back in the office building on my way to my office. And halfway up the stairs, the Lord quickened something to me, and it was Hebrews 11:6. And I knew what Hebrews 11:6 said, and I thought I knew what it meant. But walking up the stairs, the Lord quickened me in a, in a moment of time. It wasn't even, it was, well, it was much less than a second. But all of a sudden, I knew something that I didn't know before. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For they that come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And quicker than you could snap your fingers, I realized this is something the Holy Ghost is trying to get across to me. The Lord was trying to lead me into all the time. Well, if he's going to bring a blessing to me, it has to be through the word. That's how he operates in everything, in every respect, and in every area. So he had to get me seeking him in order to reward me. But the other side of that was you've got to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Well, I wasn't operating in that part. I wasn't operating in any kind of faith that he would reward me. I was concerned about doing a poor job of seeking him. I was concerned about not knowing what I was doing and not seeing any results or having any encouragement from the Lord that I was doing the right thing. But in less than a second, I knew that I knew that I knew that God was setting me up to bring a blessing into my life. And all I had to do was believe for it. So before I took another step, I'm in, I'm in mid-stride going up these steps. I just said out loud, nobody else was around. So I just said out loud, I do believe that you are, Father, who you say you are. And I do believe you're my rewarder. And in less than 10 days' time, they had adjusted my salary and given me a, a huge raise. Still wasn't a lot of money, but it was big for how things were operating in those days for us. God wants to bring you to the blessings of his word, but he's got to get you and I operating on the word. The word is the source of God's strength. It's the source of his power. It's the source of his righteousness. It's the source of every good thing, every blessing, every benefit, everything that he wants for us and everything that Jesus has done for us. He's got to get us using his word. So I want to encourage you, like never before, give yourself to the word of God to meditate day and night. Take at least one scripture every day and meditate on it. It doesn't have to be a different one every day. Stick with one till you get all, everything there is in it till you wring out every juice of God's blessing and God's power and God's goodness. Stick with it until you come to the place where the Holy Ghost enlightens you and quickens it to your heart. It'll make a huge difference in your daily life. Folks, I want to thank you for joining us. I hope you have a great week. I hope it's not too much longer until we can all get together again. We're keeping our eyes on the news just like I know you are. And we'll take the first opportunity that we can to get us all back together again. 
But until then, thank you so much for being a part of our family. I started to say, well, never mind what I started to say. I won't say it. I just want to thank you for being a part of the best church family that anybody could ever hope to have, ever hope to pastor. I love you.